My father had a friend, a friend. I don't remember his name. Uh, I think maybe Charlie we can call him, so we'll call him Charlie. And the reason why I use air quotes when I say my father had a friend is because I never met this man. As a matter of fact, I don't think he really existed. I actually challenged my father years later about this friend, and he neither confirmed nor denied the existence of Charlie. Who was Charlie? Well, Charlie, Charlie was used as an illustration of life principles all the time. Good or bad, but mainly bad. Charlie, I'm not sure how Charlie survived his entire life because he just had a string of bad luck. So something would happen to Charlie and my father would use that as an illustration or a principle for me so that I remember and I don't follow in the footsteps of Charlie. So one time I remember, you may believe it, you know remote controls, right? So you're young and you know you don't put the remote control back where it goes, right? So my dad, my dad used this illustration about putting the remote control back where it goes, but not for the reasons that my dad couldn't find it. Believe it or not, he begins, I had a friend named Charlie. Charlie left the remote control on the couch one day. And you, wanna, you know what happens when a remote control gets hot and the batteries go bad? That acid can burn through titanium. That acid burned through the remote control and then through Charlie's couch. No kidding, true story. I think that remote control is still burning its way to China at this point. So I remembered that and I, I said, okay, I'm not going to put there. I don't want to burn holes through anything. But we all had those rules. I don't know if your parents had a, a person they would use to illustrate those things. But we also know that one of the main rules for us was before supper, right? What did we have to do before supper? We had to wash our hands, make sure our hands were washed. And if we didn't wash our hands, right, inevitably that question would come as soon as you sat down. Did you wash your hands? And you would kind of be like, well, I can argue this. You know, I'm not using my hands to eat my food. I'm not in a culture like that. But then you'd go and wash your hands, and then, again, the question would come, did you use soap, right? That was the next question. And you're like, oh, you didn't tell me I had to use soap. But now we agree. We agree that cleanliness, right, is important as adults. So kids, you're going to get it one of these days, right? And we agree that sometimes being dirty, especially when it comes to dinner, isn't always good, especially for the relationships that we're sharing with other people, right? We'll go to a, go to a restaurant and you look at a fork, and you're like, wait a second, I didn't order that spinach on my fork, right? That kind of ruins your experience, doesn't it? If I was up here preaching with mud all over my face, right, you guys probably be looking and distracted by the mud, and you'd be like, Pastor Mark, can you just clean yourself up before you talk to us? Or if someone was dirty and they wanted to hug you, right, you'd be like, hey, you know, there's a washcloth right over there. Can you please use that? We agree. That in the physical world, cleanliness and the enjoyment of certain activities and relationships is important, right? We, we agree with that. How about the spiritual world? Do you and I get spiritually dirty? Do you and I need to clean our spiritual hands before enjoying a dinner with Jesus Christ? 
Well, what we're going to see here in our passage today is we do get dirty. But it's not our hands that need cleaning, it's our feet. And it's not Charlie serving as this living illustration, but it is Peter, the volunteer for this physical illustration that teaches us a very, very crucial, important spiritual principle. It is principle of the spiritual foot washing. We're all going to partake in this today. We're going to look at three truths as we talk about this spiritual foot washing. The first truth is the Peter's do not understand it. Verses 6 through 7. So Jesus had started the foot washing, comes to Simon Peter. And he says to and Peter says to him, "Lord, do you wash my feet?" Jesus answered and said to him, "What I do you do not realize now." but you will understand hereafter. So Jesus already has, I believed, uh, washed all of the disciples' feet. Uh, The reason why I believe this also is because at the end of this discussion, uh, he begins another teaching. So it's, it's quite possible, and as I said before, that the washing of the feet was pretty embarrassing for the disciples, to have their Lord and Master stoop this low, you know, but and there was probably this awkward silence this entire time as Jesus is going around and washing their dirty feet. Probably like, oh, I hope no one walks in and sees Jesus down, you know, washing our feet. And, but no one, no one up until this point that we know of has said anything. But here comes Peter to save today, right? Peter is our guy that if someone's going to say something, and not keep that awkward silence, it's definitely going to be Peter. So Peter pipes up and proudly protests passionately. Say that three times fast. We can't really hear his intonation, but there's, in the Greek, some keys that point out to it. It seems that he is emphasizing two words. He's emphasizing you, as in you wash my feet, And he's definitely, and more so, emphasizing my. So Peter's upset for two reasons. Number one, that the Lord is washing his feet. Number two, that it is his feet. And I would say my feet is emphasized more than the previous one. Peter is upset because Peter doesn't believe that he needs his feet to be washed. He's also probably upset that the other disciples allowed Jesus to do this. So Peter is morally superior in this situation. Matter of fact, even more so than Jesus Christ. Many studies have been done show that people tend to exaggerate their own positive characteristics and abilities, right? I'm sure we're all guilty of that at some point. For instance, there's studies that show that Drivers think they are better than other drivers. Most drivers think they're just better than the average driver. This is called illusory superiority. There was a study that was done in a prison surveying 85 convicts in a prison in southeast England about their pro-social straits uh, compared with other inmates that were just the normal inmates. These are convicts that were there for acts of violence and robbery. The inmates completed the questionnaire 
anonymously and in privacy. Here's what the study concluded. Compared with the average prisoner, these convicts rated themselves as more moral, kinder to others, more self-controlled, more law-abiding, more compassionate, more generous, more dependable, more trustworthy, and more honest than the other average person in the prison. It gets worse. They rated themselves better than the average person in their community, except for the law-abiding. I guess you can't. They, they rated themselves equal with the average person in their community. What is happening there? That's pride. On, on average, right, we think that we are morally superior than others. That's what Peter is thinking here. As a matter of fact, Peter thinks he's exalting Jesus by refusing this foot wash, but also Peter doesn't think his, pe- his, his, his feet are dirty. You wash my feet? Lord, don't you want to go back to John? His feet need a, need a little second scrubbing there. For Peter, his feet represent his pride. And there's an emphasis, and there's, a, there's kind of a harshness in his tone, so much so that he is actually correcting Jesus. He is refusing the service that Jesus is offering him because of his pride. And that goes all the way back to before we're even Christians. Why, why do people refuse what Jesus has to offer them? It's because they don't think they need to be cleansed by him. Remember with the Pharisees? They were blind, but they didn't realize they were blind, did they? And Jesus said, if you, hey, if you knew your issue, if you knew your condition, you would come to me. But because you think you see, you're going to die in your sins. It's one of the, it, the biggest sticking point for people not coming to Christ is they don't see a need for his work. But that can continue on into our Christian discipleship, can it? Because that's the aspect that Jesus is talking about here. And Peter is not exalting Jesus but himself. Our pride is what will keep us from receiving what we need and allowing Jesus to serve us. And what is really interesting here is Peter is exalting Jesus with his words, but not in his heart. Peter's looking really good on the outside. As a matter of fact, he's looking down upon others. And he's saying, you guys, you shouldn't have allowed that. And we can sound very, very spiritual sometimes. But we're not receiving the cleansing that you and I need for our sins, like Peter here. I can, and it's a danger for, for people in, in positions of leadership, positions in ministry, Because we can look the part. We can sound the part. But we can say, you know what, Jesus? I don't don't need that. I'm good. But these other people, those are the ones that need it. See what he says to them. And even after what he says to them, we're going to see Peter's reaction. Jesus says to him, and he, the way he, that he responds to Peter throughout this entire section is just gracious and compassionate and gentle. 
And he says, Peter, look, you don't know what you're talking about. He says that very nicely, though. Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. And we look at that as a part of humility and faith, isn't it? We, we may not understand everything that Jesus is saying to us now, but we can trust him and we can believe him and we can accept by faith what he wants to do in our lives. And that's humility. It's understanding we don't have all the answers and it's accepting the cleansing that Jesus is offering in our lives. And when we accept that cleansing, that is when we most exalt Jesus Christ. We exalt Jesus Christ when we come to him and we say, look, I'm dirty. I need your help. It's the main reason he came was to cleanse us from sin. And we exalt him when we allow him to serve us. I think the understanding for Peter is uh, later on, Jesus is going to say after all of this, do you understand what I did? So it's going to come in part there. But I also think that a fuller understanding uh, for Peter's comes later on after his glorification. John earlier says that the things, some of the things Jesus did, they didn't understand until afterwards. It's a humility. It's knowing that we don't have all the answers and knowing that Jesus is doing something in our lives that sometimes we just have to accept by faith. Because preventing him actually prevents a deeper fellowship with him, which brings us to our next truth of the spiritual foot washing. Our fellowship is deepened by it. Verse 8. So Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter's funny. If there was a poster child for zeal without knowledge, I think Peter would fit the bill. Right? He's like, he, what he means is forever. Never, Lord, are you going to wash my feet. And what he doesn't realize is he's sticking his foot right in his mouth. He's actually doing harm to himself by preventing Jesus from doing this service. It's a refusal based on his pride, but also out of passionate ignorance. Yes, he's passionate. Yes, he's zealous, but he doesn't have a clue. And that's extremely dangerous. He's refusing to allow Jesus to serve him and refusing him forever. Because this refusal to have Jesus wash his feet, to cleanse him, as Jesus is going to show us spiritually, is a rejection of a closer walk with Jesus. An enjoyment of a deepened, more intimate relationship. Pastor Dave in his book rightly says this, a follower of Jesus can miss out on closeness with him, with Jesus, through the pride of ignorant passion. Great quote. Thank you, Dave. Through the pride of ignorant passion. Peter thinks he's being passionate for the right reasons. And guess what's happening? He's taking a stance 
that is actually not helping his relationship, but it's hurting his relationship. Do we see the connection there? And I want to point out that we can do that in the church. We can take a stand on things. We can say, no, never, never am I going to do that. When we don't have all the information, we don't have all the knowledge, and it's going to hurt relationships. It's going to prevent us from intimate relationships with each other, but primarily with Jesus Christ. That's dangerous. He's so set on it. Even after Jesus says, hey, by the way, you don't understand what I'm doing. Peter says, never, right? After Jesus, the master, the Lord, the one who he's supposed to be exalting, the roles have been flipped. Peter's become the teacher. And he's saying, Lord, I'm not going to let you do this. And Jesus says to him, you can stand there, but if you stand there, you stand there alone because you need to come to me. You need to humbly receive what I have for you right now. And we can take these stances all the time and we can think that we're serving Jesus. We can think that we're exalting Jesus but in reality, we're only hurting our relationship with Him because it's done out of ignorant passion. Trust me, I've done it before. I'm speaking to you from experience. <laughs> Speak, I mean, I remember. Dave can give you numerous illustrations of me walking into his office. And Dave would just smile and calm down and be like, yeah, you know, and just talk me through it. Never will I ever do that. Trust me, I've said never plenty of times. And it's not building my relationship. All it is is exalting Mark, thinking I got it right and they've got it all wrong. And that's what Peter's doing, not just to Jesus, but to the disciples that are watching. You know, disciples, you don't think the disciples at this point are feeling kind of humiliated? Oh, maybe we should have said something. Look at Peter. He's leading the charge, right? And it, you start getting embarrassed. You start thinking things. Peter needs to understand that when he rejects this, he's rejecting a deeper fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I say fellowship because we're going to get to the, the, the more definite spiritual aspect of the, in, the, in this next part. Uh, but remember what Jesus said to Mary and Martha, and we see the same word that is used there is used here. So it's really important. So we're doing our our word study in our class this coming week, uh, how important words are. So Jesus says, he doesn't say, you have no part in me, does he? He says, you have no part with me, with me. Real important word for understanding what Jesus is saying. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about partnership in ministry. He's talking about friendship, and he's talking about intimacy, and what's interesting in the Mary and Martha section is we can kind of see Peter doing a similar thing that Martha's doing. The Lord answered Martha and said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. She's what? Serving, right? She's serving. But who's chosen the better? Mary. She's chosen the good portion or better part, which will not be taken away from her. 
Peter is already in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I said, it's the same idea that's expressed in this story with Mary and Martha. Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better part, refers to fellowship. Peter, like Martha, is a what? He's a doer. He likes to get things done. He likes to act, doesn't he? Peter's all over the place in the Scriptures. Always acting, always doing, always saying, always talking, right? We have to be really, really careful. Because we have to understand ministry is not intimacy. It's not. And sometimes we can be serving, serving, serving. We can be doing, 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 doing. And it's not bringing us any closer to Jesus. This is the better part. As a matter of fact, I'll make the argument, I've seen it in my own life, the more that we are spending time with Him in this fellowship, the more we're coming to Him, having our sins cleansed, the more we're, we're fellowshipping intimately and deeply with Him in His Word through prayer, the better we're going to be serving, aren't we? That's the fuel. That's where it should come from. It comes from your heart that has been enriched by meeting with Jesus Christ. That's the priority. But we can put on a show so much sometimes. Ministry is not intimacy. Jesus is more concerned with being with Him than doing for Him. Absolutely crucial. And what happens sometimes is we can believe that when we're ministering and we're serving, eh, we can be free to sin a little bit. We might deserve that because I'm giving so much. Matter of fact, that's what Ravi Zacharias did. It's what he said to one of the women that he took advantage of. He said, the Lord understands my sacrifice. So don't, let's not think it can't happen. Because it can. We get deluded in thinking that we're so indispensable to God's kingdom. It's not what He wants. He wants us coming to Him and receiving what He's going to give us. He wants, he wants us to allow Him to serve us in this fashion. So that we can deepen that relationship and then we can go out and glorify Him, and serve Him. Because if we keep doing, 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 we're going to be missing out on this relationship with Him. There's a high-profile working CEO, Mohammed El Arian, who resigned from his position of chief executive at PIMCO. He was the head of a $2 trillion investment fund. But he gave it all up. He gave it all up because of a letter from his 10-year-old daughter. What was in the letter? It was a list of 22 milestones that Muhammad had missed in her life. It included her first day of school, her first soccer match, parent-teacher meetings, and a Halloween parade. He said, when I got the letter, I got very defensive. He felt awful, but he got defensive. 
I had work to do. I had a good excuse for each of those events that I missed. Important things, important meetings, travel, urgent phone calls. But he said it dawned on me that I was missing something much more infinitely important. It's missing her in that relationship. I wasn't making enough time for her. Busyness, ministry, service. Our work for the Lord can actually take away our, from our relationship with Him. And if we refuse to come to Him in our need, it does the same thing. Ministry is not intimacy, and many times we can fall into the trap of thinking the more we serve, the deeper our relationship is, and that's just not the case at all. Thinking that we don't need it is a zeal without knowledge and forsakes a close fellowship with Jesus, refusing to have our feet washed. And the service here is a cleansing. It's a cleansing from our daily sins so that we can experience a closer walk with Him. So how does Peter feel now? How does Peter feel? Well, Peter's like an emotional roller coaster, isn't he? Up and down and up and down and up and down. So it brings us to our third and final truth, only the feet need it, verses 9 through 11. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, if that's the case, Lord, I, give me a bath. Wash not only my feet, but also my, my hands and my head and Jesus again. All right, Peter, settle down. He who has bath needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, plural, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. I just want to take a second and focus on, on Peter. Is Peter is great, right? I mean, thank you, Peter, for being such a good illustration. Um, he, he's absolutely crazy. Peter's nuts. He's, he's, he's passionate. He's impulsive. He can be a lot like us, can he? I like Peter, probably because I'm, I'm, I'm like Peter, <laughs> I do those, I can identify with this a lot. Going from one extreme to the other, sticking my foot in my mouth over and over and over and over again, reacting without all the information and leaping before I look. You know, I sometimes react to Peters, actually, who are go get them, pushing, going to doing this, but we need Peters in the church. We need them. We need all different personalities. And notice what Jesus is doing. He's not changing Peter's personality. He's putting it into perspective. He's changing his perspective. I love this picture of Peter because now he's gone from no, 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 never, never, never to give me a bath, Lord. Right? This, this picture of Peter is him jumping from the boat. Remember, he sees Jesus. I can't wait to get to that passage. He's all in, and he leaves his disciples, his friends behind to pull in the fish. Peter just dives right in, but he loves the Lord. And I want you to see 
how Jesus works with him. Because what happens to Peter later on down the road? He becomes a great, great leader in the church, doesn't he? Why? Because he's being discipled by Jesus. Because he's allowing Jesus to finally, after a few, few times, to speak truth into his life. He's allowing Jesus to work in his life. There's hope for all of us, right? All of us Peters who tend to be overly passionate and get ourselves into trouble sometimes. He changes. Why does he change? Because of Jesus. That's what Jesus can do for all of us. But as passionate and loyal as he is, he's still wrong. <laughs> he's, he's wrong, right? And he's still not letting Jesus do what he wants to do. He's, no, Peter, I'm not going to wash your head. I'm not going to wash your hands. You're wrong. All I need to do is wash your feet. So Jesus responds very, very gently, very, very compassionately, and he works with Peter, slowly instructing, patiently, I would have lost my mind with Peter, but I'd be like, Peter, I'm just moving on. Forget it. You should wash your own feet, Peter. He just keeps working with him, and he gives him, really, it's the thrust of, of this spiritual aspect of the foot washing, and he does it by illustrating it's through a cultural practice of his day. So the illustration, the, the, the practice is that of being invited to a dinner or a feast or a banquet. So what do we do when we're invited? I, you know, unless we don't want to stay long, then we don't shower or bathe. We stink, right? Where people are like, get out of my house, please. Thank you. But typically, we, we tend to freshen up, right? Tend to freshen up, maybe spritz a little cologne on. Mark Farrington. I, I can smell Mark. I always ask Mark. I say, I, I know Mark Farrington was in the office, he, and he smells so good. It's nice. It's a nice smell. So you, you get all freshened up, right? You get ready, ready, for, you get ready for the event. Right? You take a shower, you know, you're all set, you're ready to go. But we can hop in an air-conditioned car, which I'm sure all of you are thinking about right now. So we can hop in, and we, we don't get dirty if, as we go. They would walk, right, through the dusty roads, and their feet would get dirty as they walked. They already bathed, they're all set. The host would know this. So typically, this should have happened when they first came in. It didn't happen. I think it just is setting up for Jesus' illustration. Jesus steps up and does it. But the host would know this. There would be a servant there. They'd come in, get their feet washed. Why? Because you would enjoy the meal with individuals. You don't want to be staring. They might have stepped in donkey doo-doo on the way there, right? You don't want to be staring at their dirty feet as they're eating this meal. So it enjoys and it deepens that fellowship time with each other. What Jesus is saying here is absolutely crucial for eternal security and faith in Him. So if you're a new believer, I want you to hear one thing. That if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're in His sacrifice for your sins, your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. You are going to be in heaven with Him. You are clean. You're pure. That's what he's saying 
in Titus 3.5 here. He saved us not because of anything that we have done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, that's the bath, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You are clean. You're clean. The washing, the bath that takes place here is in the past. It's already happened, but the effects of the bath go into the future. Wouldn't that be great to take one bath your whole entire life or a shower and then you'll be good to go? That's what it is spiritually though. One time, one time. Can you imagine the opposite? If we, if we had to keep getting our salvation every time we sinned, we would all be right here at an altar call for the entire service, right? Coming up, receiving salvation the whole time because we get filthy. Jesus' sacrifice takes care of those sins for our ultimate relationship with us. But it's our fellowship that gets hurt, isn't it? It's kind of like a relationship with people in our household, our family, right? My daughter is always going to be my daughter. Nothing will ever change that. I'm her father. But sometimes I may do something or she may do something where we need to kind of confess to one another and mend that relationship. There's a little tension there. And then once we do that, things are back to normal. It's kind of what Jesus is saying here. We get, we get dirty feet walking in the world. The dirt is the sin. Living in this world, you and I are going to sin. We probably already have today. In our minds, by what we do, what we don't do, whatever it may be, Jesus knows that. And in coming to dine with him, in coming to fellowship with him, we need to first welcome his washing. Deepens that time with him. He knows your sins. He knows the puddles that you're stepping in. And this washing is an allowing. It happens Again and again and again, when we come to him. First, first John, John's going to talk about this later on, and he says this. It's really, really important. If you say you have no sin, right? If you say your feet are not dirty, you're deceiving yourself. You don't understand your human nature. But if you confess your sins, he is what? He does two things, forgives and cleanses. It's a two-part process there. The forgiveness happens. And the more that we keep coming to Him, I believe that's that more cleansing process where He begins to heal us from that sin, that, that, that puddle we keep stepping in. He forgives us and He cleanses us. And this is why it's important that those sins that we're struggling with, whatever it may be, that we're actively confessing those specific sins to him. Guy gives a great illustration uh, about what this looks like. He says, when I, when I left for college, my mother, who had always done my laundry, sewed a canvas duffel bag for me. Put your dirty, dirty clothes in this every night, she said. At the end of the week, wash them in the laundromat. Seven days later, he said, I, I took my dirty clothes to the laundromat. And he said, to save a little time, 
I figured, why not just throw in the entire duffel bag? Just get that puppy clean in one, one fail swoop, right? So he throws in the duffel bag and starts the machine. And all of a sudden, throughout the laundromat, what did, what did people hear? Thump, ka-thump, ka-thump, ka-thump. And he said, thankfully, this pretty young Baylor girl came up to him and said, you know, I, I watched you throw your, your little duffel bag full of clothes in the laundromat. She goes, they might get cleaner if you just kind of take them out individually and just kind of throw them in one by one. And he said, he said you know what? A little while after that, he said, my relationship with the Lord was hurting. And he goes, and I kind of remembered the way I approached this truth of confession. He said, I would just say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. And he said, it, it hit me that sometimes these sins need individual attention. Now, we don't want to take this too far because we, we can sin in ways that we have no idea, right? And I'm sure we, we do it all the time. But it's a good point because we don't want to just generalize, be like, Lord, forgive me for everything I've done today because it's not helping our accountability with Him. And it's not sharing with Him what, what we should be recognizing, meaning I have an issue here. This one needs little extra scrubbing right now. Can you help me with this? And it's not an exercise in shaming us. It's to build that relationship with Him. He says to them, you're pure. You're the pure one. So we have confidence that we're going to be with Him in all eternity. He is concerned about walking with Him here on earth. And He wants a deep relationship with you. The one who's not pure is who? Judas. That's who's not clean. Because we know he betrays him. The rest of them are. I can say that to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You're all clean. But guess what? Now you got stinky, dirty feet. So what do you think? Do you think, uh, you think Peter got it? I don't know. At this point, Peter doesn't talk anymore. So did Jesus put up his hand and say, just stop. I'm going to... I'm going to keep going. But the question is, do we, do we get it? Do you and I get what Jesus is saying to us? That when we welcome his spiritual foot washing, you and I are going to enjoy that intimate friendship and relationship with him. He loves us. And practicing this does not push us away from him. It only draws us closer. Pride's going to get in the way, but if you and I allow Him to wash our feet, you and I will have some of the best fellowship with Him on this side of heaven. Father, Lord, thank You. Thank You for helping us understand how important fellowship and intimacy with you is in our lives. Thank you for teaching us, teaching us how to have a closer walk with you. Lord, we sin so often. Help us to be aware of those sins that hurt that friendship with you and help us to freely confess them, and receive the cleansing that you have for our lives.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.